What's up guys, welcome to the Fit Town Show. This is Coach Andrew and I'm joined today by our newest coach, Josh Marundi, and we're gonna be doing a whole episode about Josh, getting the chance to get to know him, learn about his personal background, how he got here into this world as well as onto our team, and talk about some of his interests and, and training background and all that good stuff. So first off, welcome to the team, Thanks Josh, and welcome to the show. I know you've listened to a few of these episodes, yeah. so cool to be on this side of it, right? For a couple of years, yeah. It's wild like to kind of watch the, uh, the evolution of the show and the gym and everything. It's been it's been fun to watch from afar and now see from a little bit closer up. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into that relationship yeah. of you and the gym, but I want to start just more on the personal side. Like, give us the basics. Where were you born? Where'd you grow up? You have a family, married, or anything like that? Yeah, I grew up in Constantine, Michigan, which is like 1,800 people. It's a village. Uh, there was not a lot to do there. Um, my parents divorced when I was very young, but my brother and I, I have one brother who were very close. Uh, we were very lucky. My parents stayed proximately close together. So they were never more than like 10 miles apart. Um, played every single sport and pretty much every extracurricular activity that Constantine had to offer, which is probably pretty limited to what most people are used to. But I mean, uh, everything from, you know, starting out at like four, t-ball, uh, into freestyle wrestling, picked up rocket football as soon as I could, then mini basketball, and then that evolved into, you know, middle school and high school sports where I really started to hone in on interests of football, wrestling primarily, and then uh, track, baseball, kind of were like, kept me in shape for the other two. Yeah. Um, what was your best sport? Probably football was my personally most successful sport. Uh, we what, won. What position were you? I got moved around a lot. Um, that's kind of like a really valuable life experience for me. So I was zoom out first before I go there, I guess. We were raised, we had a very successful football and wrestling program. So I was lucky to be kind of put into a winning environment and culture at a pretty young age and learn in hindsight, now that I'm older, you know, a lot of important valuable lessons about what it is to be a team player and how Inevitably, you, have, you know, you'll have like your team's Michael Jordan, the star player who is going to need to be that person. But there's also like role players um, sometimes that you do what the team needs. And for football, that really became my position. Um, I was elected captain to all the teams I played on, but was never like in a solidified position, which felt kind of at times scary and like I didn't know my purpose all the time. So, I mean, that. A younger age I moved from running back and then I was put to like linebacker and then I was nose guard and then my senior year I started both ways on the on the offensive and defensive line oh so wow <laughs> we ran a straight T offense which is pretty rare um, if you don't watch high school football you've probably never even heard of that it's mm -hmm. really small colleges um, predominantly running and it's it bodes well to like athletic teams so when I'm the starting guard uh, and your guards pull, so they're, they're highly mobile. So I needed to be able to run like a running back, but block like a lineman. Mm. So we were a small, undersized team. We won our first school, first state championship. Um, it just taught me a lot of lessons about like when this is what the team needs, this is the hole that you fill, um, if you have the ability to do so. So that was a humbling and, and great experience young. Yeah, are you a... Uh... On the watching side, are you a football and sports fan, or what are some of your main interests outside of you doing the fitness yourself? I do enjoy watching sports, um, but I'm way I'm like 
eight to two doer over watcher. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't have like super committed teams, but football is like the one sport that if college or pro football is on, it's pretty rare that I won't. If you get me to sit down long enough to watch TV, then there's a good shot I'll watch football. But other than that, I would way rather be playing anything. Uh, I love playing soccer. I picked up rugby and lacrosse for a season, both in college. Uh, I love basketball, pick up hockey, you know, uh, ice and skate, hunting and fishing, like anything that puts me outside and hunting doesn't let me move a lot. But if I'm outside, I'm usually pretty happy. Yeah. And then I know another big interest of yours is music. So can you speak to that? When did you get into music and... What's that look like for you? So like the earliest thing that I can now reflect back on with my music and what was very unique is my mom really introduced us to like so much music. Um, and when you're young and you have no like perception of what is like the norm, um, you just know your own experiences. Mm-hmm. And I remember anybody that's like close to our age or like the millennial generation, there was like all these uh record labels and distributors would do like buy four CDs, get 12 for free, which was oh, so was that awesome. <laughs> I forget what it was like, how they ran it through. I mean, I was like, you know, 12, 10 and 12, but my mom would do that. And so she would pick like everyone that she wanted and she'd be like, well, there's four left. You and your brother can, can pick them. So she amassed this insane uh, CD collection. And so that really sparked my interest in so many genres. I remember going to school with like a Walkman and showing everyone what I was listening to and they're like, well, you can't listen to Garth Brooks and Led Zeppelin and Boys to Men. And I was like, <laughs> why? Yeah, I just, I didn't understand. So fast forward, we did like a music aptitude test in like middle school and I'd scored really high uh, or that was in elementary school. Um, and so I signed up for band coming into middle school and that quickly evolved into like concert band, jazz band and marching band. Uh, because I needed more things to do. Uh, At that time, I was always a saxophone player, so I was classically trained on woodwinds. At 18, uh, I really wanted to learn drums. My band teacher was like, you know, absolutely not. Everyone can play the drums, and we want to keep you on saxophone. So I self-taught myself, uh, obviously, uh, drums, and uh, went to college with two really close friends. We immediately started like a it was supposed to just be like a weekend cover band to uh, basically like, you know, drink for free and meet girls and make fun side money. And uh, we recruited a singer who was really talented. Like immediately he had writing potential and we were all, we weren't really looking for that. You know, the, like, like we were better than we thought we were gonna be. So that band started gaining traction. We started touring uh, like the Northeast and the Midwest pretty heavily, uh, playing with other national acts and starting to get some attention for local radio. And that kind of fizzled. Um, and then that opened the door for me that a national act that we had opened with had seen me play. And then they pursued me as a drummer. And then I did that for like nine years of my life. I just lived on the road. Yeah. It was a, a wild ride for sure. I know some of the people know, know the group. So what's the group? Yeah, the group is Pop Evil, which mm-hmm. is, they're still active and still together. Um, I left in like 16, 17. And I gave them like a year notice. You know, I was basically like, all of these things are changing in my life at the end of this year. I'll help you find my replacement. I will train that drummer um, on the songs and then I'm gonna step away. Um, and that was a crazy year for me. I definitely took on too much. You know, it was a good learning experience for me. Yeah. Um, I'm sure we could do a whole episode on the whole, <laughs> the whole rock career, but like 
is there anything that jumps out to you when you look back on that experience? Because I feel like so many people, you know, they look up, look up to, or maybe not look up to is the right word, but just it's it's a win a window into the world of a rock star. Like most yeah. people don't ever get a taste of that. So, what was that? Was it glamorous? Was it not? And I think it was all of the above. You know, at different times, depending on like the the life cycle of the band. You know, I. Prior to Pop Evil, like we would go on stints where we were staying, in a, like four of us were sleeping in a Ford Econoline for like weeks on end, not sure when the next shower would be. Mm -hmm. All the way up to like, we're on a tour bus, we're flying to Europe, we're playing arenas for 100,000 people at Download Festival, and I'm like side stage next to Tommy Lee watching another band play, and I'm like, I'm from Constantine, Michigan. Like, I don't, how did I, how did I get here? Yeah. So it was very surreal at, at moments for sure. Um, but, but at times it can be very humbling, you know, like there are times on tour where you feel really helpless. If you're in a drive day traveling from one city to the next and the bus breaks down, mm. like you're like, you're stuck, you're st at least for a short amount of time, you're stranded. Or when you rely on like, so bands have like riders, right? Where you show up and the venue provides you with your rider. And like, I liked, I like to cook on the bus. I bought electric skillet. Uh, and so you ask for like eggs and they don't show up that day. And like, you can really let that frustrate you. And you start to feel kind of really kind of spoiled. Like you don't want a sense of entitlement, but it's also like, I don't have access to go grocery shopping. Mm -hmm. So I really needed those. <laughs> so it was, it's a very, it's a life of like varying extremes. You know, there's a lot of glamour and excitement. And then there is like, you have zero control over what is happening and you are just like, whatever is happening is happening to you. Yeah, we were talking the other day upstairs in the gym of the habit you picked up of standing while eating yeah. because you're used to just being in a kitchen where you don't have, a, you know, a place you can sit there's down. There's nowhere to go. Yeah. In, <laughs> in a bus like and just bus. kind of in the galleyway there. Yeah, there's nine of you basically, you know, roughly just in this metal tube and... I'll never forget the like when friends would come on the tour bus. How they're like, "This is so cool!" And I learned to basically like my perception was it's like the coolest car that you've ever been in, but it's a really terrible house. <laughs> yeah. We have to live on it. It's awesome for like a week or a weekend, but it uh, it definitely grows on you. Um, I don't know if you got into it, but uh, we didn't get to talk about like family and are you married and stuff like that. Yeah, you have so kids. The band took me to all those things. It, it was. It was such a pivotal time in my life, especially being like, you know, a young man in my 20s. Um, it introduced me to my now wife, Jess. We've been together for 10 years, married for six. Uh, we have two fur babies, no, no children. Uh, I have a nephew from my brother who I'm very, very close with. He, him and his wife are still in Kalamazoo. Um, my nuclear family is pretty close. You know, Jess is my best friend. We do everything together. We've partnered in every business that we've done together. We take on every adventure together. Um, she was on the road with me a lot when I was touring. And then my brother, my mom, and my dad, and, and we are all relatively close. Cool. And you mentioned 2016, 2017 was kind of a crazy period. What happened after Pop Evil? Yeah, so in, in the uh, time span of like six months, basically, I left the band, uh, fulfilled my, at that time, training goal of competing at regionals for CrossFit, uh, bought a business, a gym in Michigan, uh, and just, basically my entire life and it was the first time in a decade really that i like 
lived in a house, which sounds so crazy to most people. Like I realize my circumstance is weird, not everyone else's. But that was really weird for me to just be stationary every day, like to wake up in the same place and go to work at the same place every day. Uh, I took all that on in a lot of excitement, you know, and, and I think it took a little while for some of the, the after effects and repercussions to like settle on me. I was like, wow, this is heavier than I had expected. I thought I could just kind of run through it. Yeah. All right. So let's <clears throat> rewind a little bit. So you were competing at regionals at that point. So when did you find, like, when did you get into fitness? When did you find CrossFit? Yeah. And when, when did that happen? So I, I carried a lot of exercise and just constant energy I'm like right into touring um, even in college I didn't have a very stringent regime you know I gained weight in college a little bit I drank too much and didn't take care of my body uh, but I continued to go to the gym I like to lift I got on tour the kind of the opposite effect happened I uh, ran a lot I had access to just a lot of body weight stuff I bought a kettlebell and started to learn about that and then in 2013 um, I was right around Thanksgiving uh, I was actually with Jess in Tennessee uh, and met one of her friend's uh, husbands at the time, and he had come to a show, and this guy was like decked out, headband, sleeveless shirt, and he's like, bro, your, your cardio on the drums are so intense. How many double unders can you do? And I'm like, I don't know what this guy <laughs> is talking about. With, and he's like talking about snatch and all these crazy terms. I'm like, yeah, I've been exercising. Like, I've been doing strength and conditioning for, at this time, like 10 to 15 years. Uh, competed at a successful high school sporting events. I'm like, I don't know any of this stuff. He's like, you know what CrossFit is? I'm like, not really. And so uh, his name's Phil. Phil takes me to the gym. I'm, I'm, at this time I have like a week off. So I go to the gym with Phil. Phil introduces me to an overhead squat with an empty barbell and I fall down when I'm trying to overhead squat. And so like I'm immediately upset. Like with myself, I'm so competitive and I'm like, oh, I'm gonna figure this out. Like I'm gonna get good at this. And he's like, you should do the open. And I'm like, I don't know what the open is. So they explained to me, this online competition, you sign up, everyone in the world does it, you know. I'm gonna be really upset if you beat me in the open that year. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, so the very first workout, uh, I, was, I was still in Tennessee and then we were about to leave and fly to Europe. Um, and I'm like, can I do the open if I'm changing places? And Phil's like, yeah, you can just drop in, a judge will judge you, you submit your scores. So they introduced me to the concept of Friday Night Lights. Mm -hmm. I do the open workout, which at that time would have been 14.1. And I'll never forget uh, I mean, it was, there was a lot of people there, like their gym really showed up and they had like all their better athletes going heat one and Phil's like, we're going to go in heat one. And I'm like, man, I don't know. And the workout was double unders and snatches, really mm -hmm. light snatches. Uh, it was basically like a ground to overhead. And we watched the games athletes do the open competition first, which I know Marcus Hendren was one. Man, I can't, I don't remember the other athlete. So we watched them and then immediately we do the workout. And I finish, I collapse, of course, standard, you know, uh, I'm dead. And the owner of the gym uh, and coach, he's like, you beat Marcus Hendren. And I was like, I don't, I don't know who Marcus Hendren is. Is that good? Is that the guy That's over crazy. there? <laughs> he's like, no, like the games athlete that just competed on TV, you beat him in his score. And he's like, and honestly, I think you could do better. I'm like, what do you mean do better? He's like, well, you can repeat the workout. And I'm like, why would I ever do that? He's like, well, to, in, to, like, to improve your placing. So I came back two days later and, and I did, I improved my score. And I ended up scoring great in that open workout. Um, I did the next workout in New Jersey uh, at CrossFit Hoboken. And then we flew out the next day to Europe and I did the next three workouts periodically traveling through Europe. Uh, and it was a pretty good comprehensive like reflection of my abilities. So like mm -hmm. workout one was like very low skill, just aerobic motor and I like smashed it. 
And then like workout three had like, uh, it was a really long chipper and it ended with muscle ups. And I didn't really know how to do like a kipping muscle up. So I basically had to like stand on a box, get in a false grip, mm -hmm. extend, and then strict myself up and then drop. Uh, and I ended up finishing like 100th in the Central East in my very first open workout. So wow. throughout this time, I'm obviously still traveling. Like as scores are coming in and the open's taking place, I'm still constantly on the move. I meet the owner of the gym that I went on to buy uh, in Kalamazoo. I'm visiting my brother and staying with family there. And he's like, do you, do you want to get serious about this? Like, are you really into CrossFit? And I was like, I like it. And he's like, you should go to try to go to regionals. And I'm like, well, I, I'm not very good at CrossFit really. And he's like, what, what do you mean? I'm like, well, I finished a hundredth. And he's like, yeah, but like a hundredth out of like, yeah, this, this time it's probably like 6,000 males or something. And I was like, I don't know, a hundredth place to me just did not sound like I was competitive to, in, in my world. Yeah. And he's like, to put this into perspective, I've been doing CrossFit for like four years and I've never broken the top 200. And I'm like, oh. So we, he's like, I'll, I'll coach you if you're interested um, and I'll give you individual programming. So I start working with Jack and I finished 34th in the Open the next year in the Central East which really left a bad taste on off because to be like that close. What was the cutoff then? Uh, at that time, I believe they were taking the top 30. Mm. And then the following year, it changed to the super regional where they took 20 and 20 and combined them. Yeah. Um, so in 16, I made it barely. I mean, it was close. And that's just, that's been a stressful thing, you know, being a bubble athlete uh, and I continued to compete and just kind of live. It was like a four year window where I was like living on that, that realm um, and there's like the endless debates of like, well, your region's harder than this region and this re if I was in the South region, you know, I'd finish fourth. Uh, but that was like, yeah, my CrossFit introduction and story and then how I got into at least the competing side of it. Yeah. And then recently you've taken a break. Well, not real recent cause you're right. back competing again for uh, masters in CrossFit, but you took a break yeah. to move away from CrossFit. What would, what did that look like? I just hit, so following that, uh, a, that trip to regionals and the, like moving into a house and changing careers and getting married, all that was in 2016. Um, I just hit burnout. You know, I, I was the fittest I had ever been by a long shot and we were making a hard push to, to go to the games. You know, we really thought I was a top 10 regional athlete and that would have a shot to hit a podium. And I, I just totally burned out. I, I could not sustain. And when I looked at like what, what dials I could turn, you know, like your, my marriage is not an option. That's priority number one for me, you know, income and business was number two. So training was the one I had to just, I, I shut it down. I emailed my coach and uh, I was working with Michael Fitzgerald from OPT and Mike's a great coach, but I just, I couldn't sustain. So I had to step away, collect myself. Uh, I got into ultra running on the trails for a little while, not because I really enjoyed it uh, because I, I needed a challenge. I, I feel I feel most at home when I have like a goal to pursue. Uh, just kind of like I feel like it keeps me very honest and helps me align other aspects of my life. You know, you're less likely to eat bad or to stay out late or to drink excessively if I have a fitness related goal. So I ran a 50 and a 100 miler, and which from a coaching aspect was really valuable. I definitely was that over the course of like a year you accumulated 50 miles or I, I, I like as a, so like as an athlete I love telling the story of how I ran 100 as a coach I hate it because it's one of those things like I would never recommend this for other people but coming in with the base that I had you know of lots of basic strength and conditioning and then regional training for multiple years 
I did like a three month ramp for my 50 miler. Then we started a second business and life fell apart. So I totally stopped training. Then I, when I was like, I signed up for a hundred as a lottery cause it had already maxed out. And I was like, I'm not going to get in. So, but at least I can like pretend. So it helps me run a little bit. Mm-hmm. And like two and a half weeks later, they're like, you're in the race was in like two months, three months. So I basically then restarted my program and trained for like three months to run a hundred miler. Where was that at? Uh, that was in like 20 of the miles was Tennessee and about 80, 70 to 80 of them were in Kentucky. Oh, so you need, you need two states to cover yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. There was like a 30,000 plus feet of change. And when I had read the sign up, I thought it was 15,000 feet of change and it was 15,000 feet of gain. I misread that. Oh, wow. So, so it's going up and down, but the cumulative gain is 15,000 over the course of the, the 100 miles. The gain is over 15. Yeah. So wow. you're, you're, I mean, you think about 15,000 feet, like, you know, the highest peak in the U.S., is not 15 we're looking at 14s unless you go to like denali but, wow so that's, that's a, crazy yeah you're basically on a hiking trip so you're a glutton for punishment yeah. you know that that's fair um what when you compare crossfit and ultra marathon which you know talk us through like how do what how do they differ how are they the same what's what do you like more what do you like less of those competing at that high of a level and obviously your the marathon was less about competing, but more about just getting through it. It was very much competing with myself. And I think that's something that has changed in my mind as I've gotten older, is I honestly enjoy training maybe more than, than I do competing. Maybe not quite, but it used to be like, you know, competing, training. And now it's, I enjoy the process a lot. Um, similarity is the same thing that draws me to them. I, I really do like the suffer. I really believe in like challenging yourself, uh, and that challenges yield change. And for me, change is synonymous with growth. And I just, I wanna be an, I wanna infinitely be a student. And so I know that there's always an option. Like I can take things away both as an athlete and potentially as a coach. Uh, I learn really well from doing. So I feel like to, com- to train an endurance athlete, I learn the best by being an endurance athlete, even if it's for like a six month, a six week or mm-hmm. six month window. Um, I think some of the similarities that were really awesome was the community. I, I had no clue about the, the tight-knit running community that exists. And it's even segregated again amongst like road runners and trail runners. Trail runners are like a little more hippie, way less like stringent. Like I remember going to some of the aid stations and the guys in the aid stations had like Fireball and like Coors Light if you wanted a beer, like in the middle of your run. Like you'd never see that in a marathon race, of course. Yeah. Um, so like the community and the support, I think was, was very inspiring and very awesome to be a part. Everyone likes to feel a part of a group. So I really liked that and I loved the challenge. Differences, uh, one is just like, I mean, scientifically stuff is like the energy system training. You know, when you're running for a hundred mile trail run, you pretty much don't do anything quickly. Mm-hmm. And it's just, you're just yogging forever. Uh, it's so counterintuitive because when you're running that far, the whole point really is to like run as fast as you can while being lazy because it's all about like caloric control. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not like how fast can you, do you think you can run? It's more like how fast can you run to keep your caloric burn low so you don't bonk because you can only take in so many calories and inevitably there's going to become a part where you, on that race where it eclipses. And like you've burned too many, you can't take it anymore, then your body shuts down. 
CrossFit, that's never really happening. You know, people just shove calories in their body, train super hard, super fast. Um, and I think that CrossFit leaves me a little more beat up for sure when I'm com training competitively. Uh, when I trained for my 100, I did do quite a bit of CrossFit. You know, part of my program was to maintain CrossFit abilities. So I was still snatching, you know, a little over 200. I still back squatted for, like I kept most of my numbers up and I was lifting, it was like a three run, three lift early. And then it translated to four and two as I got closer to the 100. How, how much do you have to eat in a 100 mile race and what were you eating? Man, so you, every, this is like the classic Mike Tyson, <laughs> everyone has a plan and then you get punched in the face. I remember like, I'm a really big whole food guy, even during running. And most, a lot of guys aren't, they rely on gels and stuff like that. And I was like, I'm gonna eat real food. I'll take like, I'll blend it like baby food, whatever I can do. Um, I would say average training weeks, you know, I was probably around like 32 to 3,600 calories a day and like very heavily carbohydrate driven for mm -hmm. me. I uh, tried to keep my protein relatively high, but it was a lot of fibrous carbs. I didn't see the need for a lot of like fast digesting, but I had a lot of like pasta, beans. I mean, those two things were huge for me. I had a mm -hmm. lot, a ton of beans. Um, on the race, you know, for the first 60 miles, I felt really good, really strong. And then your body just basically gets to a point where like it just starts rejecting food and you just put everything you, anything and everything you can put in and keep down, it, it's just like a guessing game. So Jess, Jess headed up my crew. I had a crew of like seven, six that, you know, helped me through the race immensely. And aid stations have different options, but it's like, you're, it's really like a, a puzzle. That's, I think that's what I was so drawn to with ultra running is like, it's a physically demanding never-ending puzzle because it, when you're running for 25 to 30 hours things are going to go wrong it's just a matter of what goes wrong when does it go wrong and how do you react to what's going wrong and i really enjoyed that part it, it's hard to enjoy in the moment but you know the, yeah. the concept so i mean i did a lot of oatmeal on the race to start out um candy like i had gummy bears uh sweet tarts and stuff like that we did like a we tried to do like an apple mashed potato kind of like baby food blend. Yeah. That didn't really go over great. Like I didn't really, my body didn't want it. Late in the race, it's like just anything. Salty chocolate pickles were so good. Oh yeah. I remember eating like a pickle or like an orange. Those two things both were like, oh, breathe life into my body. Yeah, your body's just like craving sodium, yeah. right? Any kind of salt um, to keep that in and keep your muscles from you know shutting down. Yeah. All right, well, let's, let's change gears a little bit. Let's talk about the gym ownership and the coaching side of things. Um, what's it been like having the gym and, and what has that experience been like for you? I think, so it was my first endeavor into an entrepreneurial uh, pursuit, which that alone I think was a huge learning experience, but reeling it into gym specific, I got to learn a lot about training a large group of people and all the hats that a gym owner traditionally is gonna wear. You know, was, um, So I was the head coach shortly before I became the owner and I really poorly uh, prepared myself for that change. You know, we had an owner and a head coach, and when we lost the owner and I became both, I sh should have foresaw the need to replace me, uh, and I didn't. So quickly I was like the owner, and my wife was doing a lot of the back of the house stuff, and I was trying to help with like billing and accounts, 
you know, receivable and billable, uh, taxes, all these other things that a business owner takes on. And then as the head coach, I'm dealing with coaching the majority of the classes and programming um, and trying to form, to me, most importantly, like important relationships with people. I think when you get into the gym business, a lot of people think it's about like making people fitter, stronger, or making them lose weight. And I, to me, that's very much a byproduct. It, it really is like relationship building. You are gonna connect with people. Um, communication is so crucial. Like you need to be able to learn about them. They need to be able to trust you. You need to be able to them show, then show your skill set to how you can improve the goals they came into the gym with. But at the end of the day, you know, I, I talk to a lot of personal trainers who don't have great success or their clients don't have great success. And they're like, well, I wanna push my client really hard, but they don't respond or I can't get them to do this. And ultimately I'm like, if you get them to work really hard for four months and they quit, do you think they'll reach their goal? And they're like, no. I'm like, well, what if they work a little bit hard, not real hard, but you get to keep them for four years? Like the odds that you could get them to a goal then is much higher. So learning to manage relationships is, is, is huge. Um, which is really, to me, what, what made me fall in love with coaching. More even than like the specific, maybe technical skill sets, I really fell in love with helping people grow and change. I love that aspect of coaching. Yeah, and with this shift that's happened, um, tell a story of how you ended up here. Yes, and, uh, this is... Uh, and, and you've been coming here throughout the years as well. So this is not their first time yeah, introduced to... I think this is my fourth year dropping in here, if I remember correctly. Uh, so we come to Jupiter. Um, we have a friend here that, that you know showed us this at one time was a hidden gem. <laughs> uh, and I, I dropped in uh, to, to here four years ago. And I think I just did open gym. I think at that time I was probably training... I was either like not doing anything, like maybe some functional bodybuilding the very first year. So I kind of just kept to myself, came in during open gym hours and I'm sure I met you and met your brother. Uh, and I just, I loved, I loved immediately that you and your brother worked together. That to me was like, oh, this is, to me that sends the, like the message that this is a vibe I really like. And then I just, I noticed the more I was here, I really loved the professionalism of the gym. Um, you could tell that I know now you, but I could tell the owner took took this seriously. You know, I think when you when you get into like gym ownership, especially with the CrossFit boom, you have to have a conversation with yourself as a gym owner. Is this a is this a business or is this a hobby? And and both are great. There's not I don't think there's a right or a wrong. Um, but a lot of CrossFit gym owners are hobbyists. They want a cool place for them and their buddies to go like playing and bang and do a bunch of benchmark workouts. And that's awesome. That that got me into CrossFit. But you guys really ran a professional place. It was clean, it looked great. I, I just really liked the environment. So I, every year we came back, I kept coming back to this gym. Um, I didn't even drop into any other gyms. And so this was me like totally not competing, dropping in, training for a 100 miler, dropping in. I remember that for sure, because I would do runs and I'd come here and do accessory lifts. <laughs> and then this year, we basically, uh, we qualified an elite team for Wadapalooza in Miami. And so Jess and I kind of like mapped out our month and we were like, well, let's just drive down to Jupiter and get like a, uh, like acclimate to the warmer weather, high humidity, and you can train. Then we'll go to Wadapalooza. Then we'll come back to Jupiter and we'll like take a vacation. We'll like stay for a week or two. And I'm like, this is awesome. Perfect. So we come down and I drop in I'm training for Wadapalooza and 
Tony and I basically start having a conversation, you know, and about coaching opportunities. Um, and what immediately jumped out to me was like huge, huge learning opportunity. I mean, to be in, surrounded by professionals with a common goal and a passion, it more than, it, it definitely piqued my interest. But it sounded insane to me. So I didn't say anything right away. I was like, oh, okay, well, I'm gonna go to Wadapalooza and focus on that. So I hear Tony out, we have a great conversation. We go to Wadapalooza and compete. We come back up to Jupiter and I talk to Jess and Jess is like, you, you have to take this opportunity. Like, she's like, we, we already know that we love the area. There's no risk in that. Um, the next step is like, can you see yourself working with everybody there? And you know, we basically started the interview process and one of the awesome things to me right away was that like basically all the all of the coaching staff reached out to me individually um and a lot of them met with me and that was like a huge huge signal in the right direction for me that the the type of people you have recruited um and then their individual behaviors too being on a team of people that are that all just to me like share that they are passionate they all have a growth mindset Everyone is here to learn and grow and improve and, and challenge each other. And that's how we all learn and grow. Um, it's just, it was like immediately, the, I already was excited. And then like the more information I was taking in about the circumstance, the more excited I was finding myself. So at that point it was like, we just, we have to find a way to make this work. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, it's been cool. And it's funny um, for those of you that are listening that have been a part of the community for a while, Josh and I were talking and I mentioned one of our former coaches, Craig, opening a coffee shop. Yeah. He's like, wait, Craig Avera? Yeah. I know Craig Avera. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Josh once trained with Craig at Brick, not even yeah. through this gym. But Literally at, across at, the country. Yeah, in LA. And, uh, and then Craig and him dropped, both were in the same workout yeah. the other day and got a chance to work out and see each other again. Um, so it was funny. That makes the world feel so small, you know, to meet someone I mean, I met Craig in like 16 in LA and then so fast forward, you know, six, seven years and we're both in South Florida. Like that just, if there was ever like, if you believe in signs or fate or the universe or whatever those things are, this trip has just been a continuous for me, like the universe shoving me in this direction. It's like, this is a sign, this is a sign, this is a sign. And it's, to hear the concept of like, yeah, you know, I went on vacation and then I just didn't go home. It's just like, it's such a crazy, if you stop and think about it, it gets wild. So I'm like, I don't know. I just don't want to overthink it. You know, I, I really yeah. believe in uh, following your passion and pursuing it full and wholeheartedly. When you talk about your coaching approach and your skill set and how you like to work with people in the classes, like, can you give us some insight into your approach, your style and how like, you best work with clients and how they can kind of best work with you? Yeah, uh, so like I said, the biggest thing is about relationship building. And so that puts a pressure, not a pressure, but uh, a responsibility, I should say, on me to to somewhat ebb and flow. I, I, I think that you can exist in uh, a certain dynamic in the class and you can maintain or change that dynamic in a smaller group or personal setting, one-on-one. -on -one. Um, in the class, I definitely am about like loud music, super high energy, um, Priority number one is like keeping everybody safe, but the very next thing for me is like, I wanna have fun. I want everyone this to be the best hour of your day. I want it to be really hard in the hour that you're doing it so that when you're done, you can look back and be like, you are proud of yourself. You have a sense of accomplishment. 
Um, and hopefully all of us learned something that day. I think that's one of the coolest things about coaching is like I can, I can learn every single day. I can learn something new, um, whether it's from you or from a client. Uh, they might ask a question or I hear another coach use a cue I haven't heard. Uh, so definitely like high energy and, and watching people challenge themselves is where I, I want to see people get safely get out of their comfort zone. Yeah. Personal training. Uh, I think personal training is just can be so cool. You know, two of my favorite clients I've ever trained are both in their 70s. And I feel like I almost feel bad, like even charging because what they teach me about life, you know, it's such a shared experience, truly. Um, is so rewarding and helping people do things that they didn't even think they could do. You know, like this is where we start and this is where a lot of people hope to be and us showing them that they can actually be here. Um, it's just awesome. Watching people pick something up they didn't know they could pick up or watching someone improve their balance and stability. Um, and there's like the obvious things of like when you coach an athlete and they hit, hit a huge number, like that's exciting for everybody. But uh, I, I really like traveling down less less taken paths as well you know i i've found a lot of excitement in training people in areas that maybe i don't know a ton about because it forces me to learn you know i have to do my due diligence as a trainer um so like i got when i got really into ultra running now like i have four remote clients who are all runners who saw me run and not get injured with essentially no training mm -hmm. and they're like how'd you do that and I was like, well, if you, you know, balance aerobic capacity with strength training. And so that's been awesome. Uh, but definitely like my niche favorite things are, I, I really do, I do enjoy running quite a bit. Um, and I really like strongman, which are polar opposites, but they're both such low barrier to entries. You know, yeah. I think Olympic weightlifting is so beautiful, but it's so challenging to coach uh, and to, to, to do. And if someone walks in off the street, Within 30 seconds, I can pretty much have you like pushing a sled for a one minute max effort and put you from zero to 100 misery. Uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't take any skill. And so I, I love the simplicity in both running and strongman and the effectiveness. Nice. Let's finish off with uh, going back to the personal side. You talked a little bit about music in your journey, but do you have favorite uh, bands or musicians? If you had to narrow it down. Oh man, uh, I definitely still keep a really diverse playlist. That's important to me. Like I would never plug my phone in here. Uh, <laughs> I joke that I, I know the difference, but I like respectable artists and I like terrible artists. And I know that they're terrible, but I still like them. Uh, I'm a huge, huge Zeppelin fan. Michael Jackson is so high on my list. Um, I've always been a fan of songwriting and, and like the hook. You know, I like pop music. And then after that, people that can, that can cover like numerous boxes. So Michael Jackson is an incredible songwriter and an incredible entertainer uh, and is essentially a solo artist who just watching him manage his band was so amazing. Zeppelin is, you know, so amazing. They write incredible hooks, but they also are playing really challenging music. So when you have bands that are doing things like that, those, those tend to stand out to me. Um, one of my favorite bands, I don't even know if they're still actively a band, is a band out of Jersey called The Parlor Mob. Mm -hmm. I really hate when people are like, who's your favorite band? And someone names some no-name band. <laughs> but The Parlor Mob is like signed, they did tour, they only released, uh, I think they released a third record, but their second record was entirely about the band pursuing this dream forever, 
coming up short, even though they got signed to a major label and they, and they did all the things that look like uh, success, they never quite turned the, the corner. And those lyrics to the whole album is just like so, it's, it's kind of sad and heartfelt, but it, it's about the journey and how difficult it was. And when I heard the record, just the timing, everything, alignment, uh, it really has resonated with me through a, a large part of my life for sure. Nice. What about books? Any uh, favorite books or ones that have had an impact on you? I read a lot of classics. I read fiction and nonfiction. Um, most recent, so just out of timeline, really recent nonfiction that really shattered so many perceptions and it was awesome with Sapiens. That mm -hmm. was a really cool read. Um, in terms of like favorite books, Lord of the Flies and The Alchemist are both really high mm -hmm. fiction and classic, but still I, I really enjoy those. Um, I think those, I could go on for a yeah. long time. How about movies? I don't want to do that. Uh, you know, I don't watch a ton of movies. I or love, TV shows yeah, if you so want to go in that direction. Friends and New Girl are huge favorites of mine. I've probably watched both of those all the way through like an embarrassed, I won't even say. <laughs> uh, Schitt's Creek is fantastic and more new, new newer stuff. Um, but there's really, I don't really have much that I don't like. You know, I just, a movie for me is getting me to sit down for two hours and like watch something. My wife will, uh, will gladly vent about how She'll like, do you want, hey, before we go to bed, we should sit and watch an episode of Friends. I'm like, I don't want to sit for 30 minutes and watch an episode. <laughs> She's like, it's like 26 minutes long. So like while we're watching Friends, I have to be on the floor like doing yoga or stretching out or something or, or feed me. That's how you can keep me still. Nice. All right, we'll end on that. Thanks for uh, giving us an insight into Josh and uh, we're really excited to have you on the Thanks team. Thanks a man. lot. Thank you.